Hello, this is Luke Hunt for The Diplomat, and with me for this month's podcast is Leslie Lopez. Now, Leslie is a terrific journalist. He's got an extensive resume, multiple award-winning correspondent, Wall Street Journal, The Edge Review, uh, The Singapore Straits Times, and today I'm going to start by asking Leslie, whose coverage has mainly come out of Malaysia over many years, is that how have things changed in this country since uh, Mahathir Mohamed came back into power at the elections last year? Hi Luke, thanks for that intro. Um, a lot has changed and at the same time, little has changed too. Right. In the sense that, no, I don't think any country has gone through a change in power of a ruling coalition that's been around for six decades uh, with a peaceful transition, especially for Malaysia, which hasn't had hasn't seen this kind of a thing of a right. handover of power. So that was a huge change that you know that uh, that greeted this election result. I think that was a big positive for it. Mm-hmm. And the new government had started off well, but I think as we go on now, we're coming to ten months right. into the the new administration, they're encountering problems on just running the government because they're generally inexperienced. You've also got a bureaucracy that's exactly. been in power for a long, long time Precisely. with old allegiances yeah. which yeah. die hard. Exactly. You know, uh, They may not be a really stifling straight jacket, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the ability to put up hurdles, impediments and all are being felt now, which is why. Yeah. And that's, that has led to some kind of, you know, some sort of inertia actually in what the government wants to do right. pushing pushing things forward it's taking a slight toll on the economy getting it's hard for government to push out policies because you know you have a civil service that can set up obstacles actually right and but i think the other problem is also that the the new government uh, may have overreached in its election promises and it's finding it very, very difficult today to deliver that. So you have Malaysians after 10 months promised a lot of change but seeing very little actually. And uh-huh. that is, I think, the one of the biggest challenges facing the, the Mahathir administration this time around. Okay. The economy is an interesting point given that Mahathir has been quite outspoken in eschewing uh, Chinese investment and, and for good reason uh, if you look at Chinese debt traps around the region and the way Najib had indulged Beijing but at the same time can Malaysia afford this kind of decision making and as you were saying the inertia in the bureaucracy and the development plans that they once had uh, seem to be falling by the wayside. You know the, the economy is interesting. Malaysia is in uh, one of the largest open trading nations in the world easily in Southeast Asia. And for a long time now, there has been trouble actually finding new growth generators for the economy. For Since the 1998 uh, currency crisis, there's been a lot of government stimulus spending that has led economic activity in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And I think the new government's challenge, okay, fine, it's uh, cancelling projects uh, that could be burdensome to public coffers is a good move, always. But I think also relationships like the ones with China, which is a, which is Malaysia's largest 
economic part to be managed delicately. Right. You know, uh, large state, uh, you know, public pronouncements actually sometimes don't help. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's something that the new government will need to navigate. Secondly, I think what is more pressing is that the government needs to come out with some kind of a new economic blueprint on how where Malaysia uh, will position itself in a new ASEAN. Right. They have put that and they have pushed back uh, the great Malaysian dream, although I, I think it's too often overstated mm. in becoming a first world country by 2020. That's been pushed right back. I do think these sorts of uh, targets are a bit silly, to be honest. I agree. But ne- nevertheless, it's uh, for a lot of people here that the, these, these sorts of targets are goals and they're seeing those targets evaporate. Well, uh, uh, they've evaporated because uh, there have there has been uh, what we're seeing today is actually uh, years of destruction to a system. Right, and this that, is of course Najib Razak. Uh, well, it, it's partly it's not just that. I think it mm-hmm. goes back to the last 30, 40 years. Right, and that would you include know, that would Mahatis. include Rahma there too. And right. you know, so a lot of these things, I think, I think uh, the the less than effective uh, role played by institutions, you know is largely a result of, you know, the previous administration right. to which Mahade was was part of. Now, coming uh, on that point, I think that's where Malaysia really needs to focus on, mm-hmm. you know, rebuilding these institutions. Because each, the reason why 1MDB happened was because there was no just no check and balances. Right, know? and of course and you're talking about the One Malaysia exactly, per had fund, which... Exactly, um, which has become a, this global scandal that Malaysia is best known of, to, of sure. today, you know. And I think that wasn't just the the toxic mix of business and politics in play, but also I think a lot of people fail the Malaysian people, not just the politicians, not mm-hmm. just the civil service, but also bankers, accountants, lawyers that right. facilitated all of this. The wealth funds. The wealth exactly. You know, so so this is something I think that needs to be addressed. I think what is key is to actually find out what really happened to get down to the bottom of this. That that would mean finding out civil servants who were complicit, politicians who were complicit, and everyone was complicit. Mm-hmm. And dealing with this, making sure thorough audit review is done. So something like this doesn't repeat itself. The but government can't afford, Malaysia can't afford another one MDB. I mean, we've gone, we've had many scandals, you know, from uh, the steel fiasco, Waja during Mahathir's time, BMF. I know Mahathir's 22-year uh, uh, premiership was riddled with these financial uh, scandals. So, but clearly, 1MDB is something that global proportions... It was a big kahuna compared yeah. with what preceded it. Well, not only that, if you bunch all the scandals together yep. during the previous government and what happened to 1MDB, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking maybe two 1MDBs in the previous right. administrations. So, but my point is that 1MDB became global in nature because here was these guys decided to raise money in international markets, which that, and basically because it was US dollar, brought them under the oversight of international regulatory agencies. Well, like previous scandals right. that were largely domestic driven. It, it didn't right. get that much of an international... And easier and more easily covered up. Exactly. So, but I think but that... That being said, it is still something that needs to be reviewed, audited, and 
right. uh, and really examined very closely so these things don't happen again. Yeah. Well, we are see, starting to see that happen. Uh, Najib Razak has been charged with corruption and just recently Musa Rahman, the Chief Minister of Sabah, has also been charged under the uh, for money laundering and under the Counter-Terrorism Finance Act. And there are others to follow as well. And of course, there have been, uh, there have been the murders of two people that have been tied up with all these scandals. And those murders involve foreign countries. You have one police officer in Australia who fled here who was blamed for the murder of the Mongolian model. And then there's the deputy prosecutor who was found in a barrel of cement. How far do you think the justice and the judicial system will go in terms of laying all this out to bear, um, which goes back, to, and that includes the auditing of the financial institutions. Uh, I think, I think, it will play out. It will play out, and but I don't think uh, the story is written yet because we're right. going to see some curve benders actually, you know, right. this, you know, and there there are going to be surprises. I'm I'm sure, yep. just like the previous. Uh, cases that grip the country, you know, over you know the prosecutions against Anwar right. Ibrahim, who's going absolutely, to be the uh, and the so, detail you know, that came exactly, out exactly you know, there so, was amazing. So we, we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of. I'm sure we're gonna be caught up with a lot of surprises, right. because something this big couldn't have happened without a lot of people being complicit, right. which would include people in government, in institutions, in watchdog agencies, and everything like that. So we're going to see. I think we're going to uh, we're going to see a number of surprises moving forward with the trial. But I'm sure this is something that the new government doesn't want to cover up. I think they will pursue it right to the end. It's certainly their credibility and, exactly, and Mahathir's legacy. For sure, for sure. And I think that's that that is the main reason why I think that's that will be uh, the case. You know? Okay. Moving on with Mahathir's legacy, do you think he'll be content to? remain at the helm for two years and then to hand over to Anwar Ibrahim? From all that I've heard from people close to him, and that really is is the case. Now he's 93? He's 93. He doesn't, you know, he's not the Mahathir Mohamad of 20 years ago. Right. And he clearly is not the strong man that he was 20 years ago. Uh, he's today Prime Minister and uh, and member of the component uh, and his component party is actually the smallest component party in the ruling coalition. That doesn't give him the kind of clout he used to have before, which no. I think is uh, must to some extent frustrate him because he's, he's a man in a hurry and right. he wants to get a lot of things done quickly. And, that, and not having the kind of power that he's used to, I think must frustrate the old man. Uh, I'm sure he wants to use the the time that he's openly publicly stated the two-year time frame to before handing over power to Anwar, which I think he'll do, to get as many things done mm-hmm. and write as many things that he can, you know. And I think to a large extent you're right. It is about his legacy, and most a lot of Malaysians, uh, especially the younger voters, uh, who play. Uh, crucial role in this in the last election and will do so in the coming elections uh, have very little historical perspective about the initial Mahathir years you know it's it's uh, it's largely about uh, I think 
during Mahadev's time, a large middle class was created. Yeah, and uh, uh, it was time where people bought their second cars, second homes, and so everyone has lent generally a soft focus to his brand of authoritarianism. I think uh, so. The younger younger generation don't know of the of the Mahadev that many mm-hmm. many of us who covered him for for years, you know, mm-hmm. in the earliest uh, remember him for, but. Clearly, this this helps him with with sort of repairing that legacy. Well, and he has, of course, uh, announced that Malaysia will abandon the death penalty. He's announced that Malaysia will sign up to the International Criminal Court, which uh, has all sorts of ramifications, particularly uh, Malaysia was one of the few countries to speak out against Myanmar and what happened with the Rohingyas and we'll be looking at uh, ICC hearings on that in Mm. regards to six generals in genocide. Uh, He he seems to be pushing his country more and more towards international norms, which uh, particularly from the younger generation's perspective, that would be seen as uh, welcomed. Yep, I think so. And I think, you know, uh, uh, Mahathir still has or still reveals some of his old old positions but i think the 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 mahade this time around clearly is the one that you you right uh, he who sees malaysia needs to be more internationalized you cannot uh you cannot be blinkered so mm-hmm. i think that's that clearly is the man and you know as long if he if he puts these this this kind of uh point of view with the new government, you know, sort of like sows the seeds, right? That would be a very good thing. How do you think uh, Anwar will shape up as Prime Minister? You know, there's always a debate about this, but I think the the honest point is that Anwar hasn't been tested. Yep. You know, he's been tested as as finance minister. And until he was, you know, he was uh, removed by Mahade. He actually uh, was was the finance minister that that this helped bring about a balanced budget. Right, you know, and he he actually put Malaysia in a very very good financial position to deal with the onslaught from the 1998 crisis that get, allowed Mahathir to spend a whole lot of money and try and bring back the economy that was that was you know that was hit by this regional currency crisis. So I guess proponents of Anwar they will see. He actually listened to technocrats, did all the right things, and managed the economy well. That is clearly a plus point. Uh, people who his detractors will, however, look at his, you know, Islamic past and all of that. But in in my view, Anwar really is not tested. I mean, we we know what a Mahade prime minister is. So and he was he was ruthless when he was prime minister. Exactly. He, yeah. He broke down his <laughs> he broke down his own party in exactly, UMNO yeah. and rebuilt yeah. it according so, yeah, to exactly, his own. Exactly. So the job has eluded Anwar for a long time. It clearly, this time around, it looks like he will become prime minister mm-hmm. and then he'll be tested. He'll be tested. So I, I'm open with this, right. with his premiership. It's been talked about for so long. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> it's like, give him the job and let's see. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, I agree with that. <laughs> um, how uh, how divisive have the events of the last 12 months been in Malaysia? I mean, what I mean by that is you the election result itself came across as a coherent Malaysia speaking out, saying uh, we've had a 
enough of corruption. This is too much money. This is too in your face. No, we don't want... And UMNO was voted out for the first time since independence. Uh, also, UMNO's quick to claim that uh, the native Malays did not desert it the same way ethnic Chinese and ethnic Indians did. There's talk of uh, UMNO doing a deal with PAS, which are more hardline, uh, a more harsher brand of Islam, I guess. Malaysia has often been criticised as a society divided by religion and ethnicity, uh, but the election result would almost seem to prove otherwise. How, how do you see that, particularly now that we're one month, uh, sorry, one year after the election almost? We're almost one year after the election, but you know, a close study of the of the election results showed actually that nearly seventy percent of the Malay voting base voted either for PAS, which is PAS, mm-hmm. or AMNO. AMNO got the bulk of it, of course. So that's seventy percent. Now, consensus studies show that. Come 2025, 70% of the country's population will be Malay. So there's really no running away from this race thing in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. I think what the new government's challenge should be is to to impress upon the Malay community, which Amnos uh, and the previous government's uh, strategy has always been to put the Malays under siege, always remind them they need a strong Malay government to to ensure their rights and everything. And all that, but that actually is a fallacy. I think I think what the new government needs to do is to tell tell the Malay community that you, you're the majority here. You know, uh, you, they need to be empowered, not by by handouts or preferential policies, but through through by uh, by injecting a lot more meritocracy in the system. You know, bringing them on par with the rest, getting them to be more confident, and that would require you know, whole lot of stuff, educational uh, reviews, uh, taking over. I think one argument I would always I advocate is to take over the main Malay news, Malay language newspaper and, you know, start getting good journalism there and not the parochial stuff, the, the race-based kind of uh, tangent that they generally go on. And these, of course, are issues that plaguing uh, the newspaper industry across the world. Uh, what you're mentioning, though, in regards to uh, the race-based policy of the Bumiputra's uh, uh, favourable treatment they get, I mean, um, this goes back to to what you were saying before about what brought about 1MDB, and that it's not necessarily just you know one man's government and the policies that he engendered, but this whole system that has been swept through since uh, independence, and in particularly the uh, race riots of 1969. Precisely, I agree with that exactly. You know that's that really is something that Malaysia needs to to deal with. I mean, here you you have a country. Really, we are a country that's not yet a nation. Right. You know that's very much our case, and you know a country think, of nations. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think you know uh, Malaysians need to learn when when they ask the question, so what are you? Rather than say I'm Malay or Chinese or Indian, they should just say I'm Malaysian. Right. That's what they should be saying. Right. You know, and forget about what, you know, uh, their race is. 
you know, I think that should be that should for starters that should be just eliminated from any form. And of course, that starts with the idea of uh, with the ID exactly. cards. Exactly. So I think that that would be a that would be a great start, you know, mm. and and it will take generations, but you got to start somewhere. Under Najib and his foreign minister Anifa Oman, foreign policy wasn't one of their strengths, and I suspect that's because one MDB had such a global impact that it was undermining Malaysia's uh, relationship with foreign governments, uh, particularly on the international markets. How far do you think Mahathir has gone to restoring some of that lost ground, if you will? Well, you know, I think you're absolutely right that the that the one MDB scandal clearly uh, handcuffed not only Najib, uh, but also his entire administration yeah. to do um, whatever it took to try and plug these holes, mm-hmm. which meant, you know, going into a unending uh, phase of recalibrating your foreign policy, actually, yeah. depending on to suit these, you know, unfortunate circumstances. I think on this front, Mahathir and the new government, when Anwar Mandi, when he takes over, uh, very much have a, a kind of clean slate. Right. to decide on what policy is going to be. And I think focus should be on what's going to be good for Malaysia in terms, particularly in terms of the economy and how they build these relations. Because Malaysia's always been one of, the, one of those countries that prides itself on its ability to uh, matter in mm. the international diplomatic arena. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of uh, the Organisation of Islamic Conference and also within ASEAN, where uh, ASEAN is a disparate bunch of uh, different types of governments, different types of uh, religions, different types of ethnicity, the whole. And, and Malaysia kind of, Malaysia truly Asia, does encapsulate a lot of that. And so but with a clean slate, uh, it would be interesting to see how they kind of reinvent that. I think that, uh, I think uh, you would, you know, this is... Outside of India, I think Southeast Asia is probably home to the largest Muslim population. Right. Troubles in many parts of it. I think people like politicians like Anwar, and particularly so because he comes from from Malaysia, which unlike a lot of other Muslim countries, border mm-hmm. on failed states, uh, will be able to take up that leadership role. You know, they just need to they need to have a clear. A strategy on how to occupy that space, but I think it's a space that Malaysia can do well in, uh, and especially you know play the role of peacemaker, say for for example no. southern Thailand, you know southern Philippines, yep. really really uh, enter into these negotiations with the view to to settle something, to mm-hmm. reach some kind of settlement actually, not allow it to just uh, you know prolong and linger. And, and despite all the, uh, the corruption of the Najib years, it's easy to forget that there wa- were one or two positives that came out. And in particular, I'm thinking about the, uh, for want of a better term, war on terror, mm. and that Malaysia was one of the great frights, particularly yeah. with uh, Gemma Islamia and uh, uh, its links with Abu Sayyaf mm. and Osama bin Laden going back 10, 15 years ago. But uh, the authorities here have been quite 
apt in putting a lid on all this and bringing it under control. They've done a very good job, in they fact. Have. And I think they continue to do a pretty right. good job, actually. And uh, they, they're highly regarded by regional intelligence agencies, mm-hmm. you know, in, in where, you know, intelligence sharing is concerned. So sure, particularly yeah. with the West these exactly. days where it's, it's so, grown yeah. enormously. So they, they, have, they have done very well, and I don't think that's going to change. Right. I think that's going to that's going to remain. Could, could even form the basis for uh, exactly. that white shit as you Ex- were referring precisely, to. Precisely, precisely. And I think you know, uh, uh, like I said, you know, Malaysia needs to formulate new kind of foreign policy, the kind of space it wants to occupy. Mm-hmm. And there are there are niche that they can do that the government can occupy. On a final note, Malaysia has been important within ASEAN, and ASEAN has been criticised much lately, uh, its inability to deal with the issues like the South China Sea, the Rohingya crisis. Uh, in fact, it's never looked more divided uh, than it is right now. How do you think you've got old-style Mahats here and Anwar back in power, and they were quite formidable within ASEAN back in the 80s and 90s. How do you think ASEAN will stack up over, say, the next five years with uh, Mahathir concerned about his legacy and wanting to wanting to be a factor in this equation, in particular uh, ASEAN's relationship with China? Well, ASEAN is a thriving economic marketplace. Uh, there are a lot of kind of dark spots when it comes to how it's moving politically. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, clearly, the the election in Malaysia last year was was really a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Okay, so I think politically, ASEAN will remain in a kind of a muddle for a while. Leadership, I think, will come for the region once governments look at. They need to find a common common platform, and I think turning this this region of 600 over million people sure into a major uh, economic marketplace could be that common platform and for that we need more travel more the ability for people to move between countries exactly and freedom of movement exactly jobs you know? and uh, i think they one good thing to do would be to get these countries together and see what the eu did wrong right and avoid those mistakes mm-hmm. and avoid those mistakes and apply that to and create a new blueprint for ASEAN from an economic position. I mean, I think getting governments to come to some, any kind of agreement politically, it is going to be very, very difficult for ASEAN. It, it, it's an interesting point because the biggest criticisms of Asia at the moment, particularly in the markets, is that we have the Asian economic community, but it's restricted to just eight different professions. Despite what the authorities might say, people are not really free to move from one country to another. There are enormous disparities, particularly in education. For example, a Cambodian nurse may well be qualified and uh, of, of the correct standards, but she's not going to get a job in Thailand and the qualifications aren't being recognised. And there seems to be a long, long way to go on this kind of score. Exactly, and I think that's what uh, these governments need to 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 work on. You know, allow for more freedom of trade, intra-trade within ASEAN, and that 
would I think that would uh, sort out a lot of the other problems, you know that 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 governments tend to want to hold on to. They need to start allowing markets just to behave the way markets be markets. Exactly. And of course, that's one of the great criticisms of countries within ASEAN is that too many of them are centrally focused, yeah. and that if uh, say Thailand was to uh, decentralise power out into the provinces. Uh, you might see a, a, the complaints may well become less. People will travel more. They don't need to be all in Bangkok. And similar arguments are said about Malaysia and Sabah and Sarawak, which are a lot further away from KL than, say, Cambodia is. Precisely. Yeah, I agree. Okay. And on that note, one final question. Do you think Mohammed Mahathir is going soft in his old age? <laughs> I think he's... He's softer and he's mellow. He's mellow, but uh, his political instincts are second to none. Not a bad thing. Uh, Leslie Lopez, thank you very much. Thanks, mate.